in the Cuda, Death by DVD's exploration of Phantasm. Phantasm 2. Death by DVD. It's a statement. This is Death by DVD. You are listening to Hank, the world's greatest. I, Alexander Nash, is in the back seat. We're in the Cuda, heading east toward Paragord, Oregon. We're after the tall man which gives us about seven and a half hours of driving. I thought maybe we could talk about Phantasm 2 in the meantime. Why well, I gotta be in the back seat? Who's the front seat? I'm driving. You're in the back seat. I thought you'd enjoy to stretch out, have an ice cream sandwich, enjoy yourself. It's a little cooler back there with some Dos Equis, a couple Budweiser's for you, uh, Mr. Pibb. There's no Coke, I'm sorry. That's dangerous. I can't just sprawl in the back seat. There's barely a back seat to a Hemikuda. Yeah, it's it's actually got a, a fold down the middle. You really can't stretch out at all. It's very, very, very uncomfortable. I want to be in the front seat. All right, well, stop. You can get in the front seat, and then we'll talk about Phantasm 2. Thank you. Alexander Nash is in the front seat. Again, about seven and a half hours. This is going to be a long episode. We're heading toward Paragord. I don't know where that is. I think it's in Oregon because that apparently is where Phantasm takes place. Is is it or is it Northern California? What do you think? Uh, I think technically it's supposed to be Oregon, but does it really matter? It's, I mean, it's a, it's a wasted hellscape of America at this point. Like in Phantasm 2, it's starting the uh, degeneration of America starting and it's the nothing but ghost towns from here on out after this film. Yeah, you get sort of the deconstruction of society. And on the last episode, we were talking about Phantasm and we got really, really deep into into Phantasm itself. It's going to be difficult for the next few movies to, to keep that balance because we really get into a physical world. The tall man becomes much more real. There's no question if this is a dream. or Well, there is. You can always question if this is a dream or a nightmare. But the Well, tall the first man's film here. is very much about dreams versus reality versus uh, kind of making just a kind of an eerie horror film. And Phantasm 2 is the Arnold Schwarzenegger 80s action film of the Phantasm series. Um, It very much is about high-octane action and a lot less on the kind of uh, more dreamlike elements of it. It's it's very much brought to reality in this film. No, none of this was a dream. It's all real, and this is where we're at. But the way that Don Coscarelli decided to present that to us is by making us question absolutely everything. Because this film starts off seven years after Phantasm, but it also starts off immediately after the end of Phantasm. 
where we get to see a young Lori Laughlin jump out of a flaming building. That's my fun fact for the episode. Young Mike. It's Lori Laughlin. Is she in prison? Is is she doing some sort of women in prison thing, or did she get out? Is... I think she only spent, like, fucking 90 days. I don't think she did much actual time. Wow, must be nice. That must be nice. Rich and white. So we begin immediately where Phantasm ends, and we get a really great action sequence with Reggie, who has to fight some of these dwarves. I guess that's what we call them. Dwarves or small people they're not like people i mean they are they're crushed down we established that in the first phantasm movie that the tall call man... them jawas just call them jawas L- little little jawa guys we don't need the history lesson on what they are reggie gets into a battle with them he ends up blowing his house up to kill and vanquish these little fuckers burning some dwarf ass him and michael escape and then Seven years later, we find that Michael has been in a mental institute this entire time, which is really upsetting for our hero, and we also find out that it's James LeGros. Many, many people don't like the fact that A. Michael Baldwin didn't return. It was out of Don Coscarelli's hands. I love James LeGros as Mike. We'll talk about that as the show progresses. I think Actually, I really enjoy um, A. Michael Baldwin's response to being kind of kicked out of the movie, because basically what happened was... Coscarelli wanted to make the movie for Universal, and Universal said you need a star in it, quote-unquote, a star. And you can't have Reggie Bannister and A. Michael Baldwin starring in this film because no one knows who either of them are. You get one or the other. So he picked Reggie because Reggie is slightly more iconic than, say, like Michael is in the film. Michael could technically be recasted. The original, like, original auditions for it, one of them was uh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt could have been in Phantasm 2. That would have been funky. I mean, I, I don't see it. I really like James LeGros, but he himself is a, is a quality character actor. Most of his career has been some really, I wouldn't say bizarre, but some odd choices, and I think he's really, really good at melding into things. I mean, God, he's even in Near Dark. He's in one of the best scenes in Near Dark. You've got Thursday. I love referencing Thursday, a movie that nobody has ever seen but me and probably like James LeGros' mom or something like that. But like um, A. Michael Baldwin, when questioned about this thing years later about how he was kind of cast asunder uh, for Phantasm 2, he came to terms with it over the years, and he had just a, like a brilliant response to it that I carried off into my daily life. It's just a job. It's a job I can have, or it's a job I don't have to have. And that should be like most people's motto towards a lot of different things. Like, oh, oh you got... Uh, kicked off this podcast or whatever. It's like, yeah, it, it's as much as I enjoy it, it's still just a job. This isn't like, we're not really a family. Like, I mean, yeah, they all love each other, love hanging out with each other and filming each other, but it's still, it's it's job. It's still commerce. So you don't have to take everything so personal. Wouldn't it have been weird if A. Michael Baldwin was in Drugstore Cowboy instead of James LeGros? be a completely different film as would phantasm 2 and i like what we got you were speaking of this movie being a bit more of the action-esque rambo movie which it's funny one of the gold balls i think was called the rambo one of them the gold sphere is called the rambo sphere which really dates the movie 1988 i like how it's presented and i really like Mike in this movie, I like James LeGros as Mike, and there's a lot of nuances, there's a lot of really unique things that he brings to the character that is a nod or reminiscent of a Michael Baldwin, like, he constantly has that lollipop, he always puts the lollipop in his mouth, like, when we first see, not first see, but when that awesome interaction, when the tall man walks behind Reggie's truck in Phantasm 1, he's got that lollipop, he brought the character forward emotionally, 
Uh, he brought a different type of masculinity to the character, and what we established in the first movie is that Mike is really creative. He spent a lot of time with Jody and Reggie. He knows how to work on stuff. He's he knows you know that whole trick where he takes the the shotgun shell and ends up blowing his door lock off so he can get out. He's really ingenuitive, and this Michael is pretty much equally the same thing, but he's grown up. He's 19 years old, so we get to see really for the only time in the series with no offense at all to a Michael Baldwin. This is the only time that Mike's kind of a badass. Well, fantastic. He's, he's okay. I, I'm going to use the words beefcake. A little, he's definitely yeah. more of a beefcake in this film to where, um, he is so much more physical in this movie than he is in any of the other films. Because once you get to three and four, he becomes more of this kind of, he's hmm. more scholarly. You could say, I think well, he's, and lost. He's very much lost because he doesn't know his place in this world and he hasn't particularly like figured out anything in his life and he's just trying to come to terms with all the craziness that has been in his life in subsequent films after this. But in this film, he is cemented in his thoughts and beliefs of what is going on and he is determined to deal with them by like hook or by crook and by if violence is necessary, then let's let's do what needs to be done. And that really kind of brings us back to where we were on the last episode. We were talking about more philosophical ideas about phantasm because Reggie blows up the, the house, you know, when it directly picks up from the, the first one and we go to see Michael shrink and Michael and Michael shrinks like, okay, none of that happened. You realize that none of that happened. The and even Reggie doesn't remember any of it happening that Reggie has moved on with his life, has started this family. He's just like, I didn't blow up the house. What are you talking about? And it's almost like... That's one of the best lines of dialogue in the movie, which now I guess is really offensive, and I shouldn't quote it, but I'm going to. Yeah, what, the story that a bunch of midgets broke in and I blew up my own house? He doesn't take him seriously at all, but it, it th this movie has a weird sense of humor because Michael gets out of this mental institute and Reggie finds him digging up graves and they're having this conversation about his house burning down in complete disbelief as to where you'd think when your friend got out of this just is a, a testament and a statement to who Reggie is, y your friend gets out of the mental institute and he's digging up graves, you would be genuinely concerned, but he just wants to get him home because Aunt Martha came over, she made some turkey, the kids are excited. It's just Reggie, man. All he does is love. And that's kind of an interesting aspect back to the philosophy ideas that Reggie is almost like the youth his partner in youth and always trying to stay young. And when Michael's in the Institute, they're teaching him to be an adult and teaching him how to deal with the reality. And once he gets out, Reggie has learned to cope with the reality. Reggie has a family. Reggie has a whole life. And Michael is taking him out of that life. And like, remember all these things that happened. Reggie doesn't remember it. Now, does that mean they happen or didn't happen? Um, that's I think that's up in the air. I think a lot of people like to pass that off as, well, the tall man's played some tricks and Reggie doesn't remember any of that. I just think as Reggie has learned to accept this reality and Michael, who has brought these hallucinations to uh, Reggie's life, gets out of the Institute, all of a sudden weird things start happening to Reggie again. And maybe Reggie is no longer either buying the lie of reality or that they've both gotten together and they're both back to their, their youth again and where anything can happen. So it, it's the, I think the beginning of phantasm two is very strange more than anything, because we're never really given the answer of, well, was the first film real or not? Cause Reggie doesn't remember it, but then Reggie has a family that gets blown up. 
But once Reggie goes out on the road later, sure, he might have had a wife and kids who blow up in a fire two, three months ago. Now he's ready to fuck. Hey, man. He's ready to fuck a random hitchhiker. It's hard on the road. It's really hard. You're thinking with the wrong head, Reg. This movie's hysterical. It, it It's filled with just amazing one-liners. The only hole in this entire thing is Mike and Reg are heading home, and Mike kind of flashes and sees that the tall man has ventured into the house and has turned on the gas, very similarly to what we saw at the very beginning with Reggie having to destroy his own home. They pull up. They blow the house. Really awesome. Um, they actually found the house for like $500, and the deal was you can have the house, but it has to be off this property. So they got it really cheap, built the second floor. They they added that on just to blow the thing up. But when they pull into the driveway and the house blows, it's Reggie's same house. I mean, obviously they used the shot twice. That's what makes sense here. But sticking to canon and phantasm theory, we see the same house blowing up twice. So what happened in which reality so you can you can question the tall man possibly had some sort of interference or when Reggie opens the gate in the very first movie after Michael goes through there's alternative realities you can get really David Lynch with this shit you know some some Twin Peaks theories well, think, of what's the Black Lodge that, and that's what Phantasm is so much about is the nature of reality and whose reality are we living because Reggie's been pulled back into Michael's world and all of a sudden we're living Michael's somewhat fictional reality again reggie's going full on into it well we don't really know how much of what we see in phantasm 2 in my interpretation rather is a dream and what's reality and and i believe this because there's a scene where michael is in the car and he has drifted off to sleep and as he's asleep they drive past uh samantha phillips character alchemy who previously while reggie and michael were exploring a mortuary in the basement he finds a body that is incredibly similar to her, a cadaver, on the table, which quickly disappears. And he says to Reggie, I've seen her in my dreams, but she's dead in my dreams. And that really makes me question is, was that action sequence that we saw, did that, did that really happen? Or was that all part of Michael's dreams? And that's where we see Paula Irvine playing Liz. And you've got that really awesome, monstrous tall man that comes out of her back. And the best response in any action scene. I think Reggie yells, get the fuck back! And then just torches it, burns it. You, Everyone needs a Reggie, I'm telling you. Every single person needs their own personal Reggie. But at that sequence kind of makes me wonder, up until that point, how much of what we have seen Reggie and, and Mike do is fantasy inside of Mike's head and or just his dreams, or is it all Reggie's perception? Or again, how much of it, once you get to something like Phantasm Five, how much of this is Reggie's dream and met Reggie misremembering things from his past? And it, well, it makes me wonder, I guess, going into three, because how we get with, with this film ending. I mean, Phantasm Two kind of begins... I think with Michael as the avatar and as we progress through and we start joining Reggie, the end of this movie is really, especially when it came out for the very first time, it was a horrendous ending because you didn't know what was going to happen in part three and presumably Reggie's dead. And they this will be continuous throughout the entire series. Awful things happen to poor Reggie Bannister, but he gets killed in Phantasm also. He gets killed in every single goddamn movie he dies at the end. Yeah, I mean, he well, not even the end. He gets stabbed toward, uh, you know, what, I'd say 45 minutes into the very first Phantasm film and then just reappears at some point because we don't know... Uh, on the horror movie aspect, uh, the tall man and this villain, we don't know really what his powers and capabilities are and... and in Phantasm 2, we know nothing of him. All we have is what was established in the first movie, 
is that they're taking people when they die, shrinking them down and turning them to slaves to send to the tall man's home world. We get to see the home world again, which was shot at, uh, can't remember where it was shot, but it's, it's like a, a dam. But every it's a single, dry light bed. Yeah, every single time they show this, this, this awful, this horrible red wasteland, it's just this really lovely place, and they just put some gels over the camera and turned it red. Fascinating stuff. Um, Phantasm 2 actually had a budget, though. This is not popsicle sticks glued together like the first movie. There's a lot that went into this. But uh, one of Nicotero's first big jobs, too, wasn't it? Off of coming, coming off of Evil Dead 2? Uh, KMB worked on it but it, it's fully a mark showstrom gig but there was yeah. a lot of different you know of the same special effects artists that run everything around this time period they like all bounced around i don't think k and b had fully officially formed yet they were still but they were always together i mean they're always working on different teams together and stuff i think n and b did the ending effects of when the tall man melts i think that was nicotero and burger that really that's some of the stuff you see in phantasm 2 is some of the most iconic visions that you'll have throughout the entire series like the tall man melting the introduction of the gold sphere and people just don't like it and it, and it's it's like hardcore rabid fans most of the time and it doesn't have a michael baldwin in it so i just i can't get behind this movie and i really think you end up missing out on something in a terrific addition to the series that isn't as emotional as Phantasm, but the message is still very, very clear, and it's the utmost devotion Reggie has toward Mike. I mean, the funeral scene is heartbreaking that, obviously, with a sponsorship from Ray-Ban this time, they moved up from Dos Equis to a Ray-Ban sponsorship. He's just sitting and says to Mike, you knew. You knew before it happened. All right, let's go. And that's it. He's going. And it's not just for Mike, because obviously he knows now something bad what really happened to jody what really happened to mike's parents did the tall man have something to do with it this entire time and what did happen to jody we'll find out on the next episode and that's also like after that funeral is when reggie decides to jump back into madness he's making a conscious decision to go into michael's crazy fucking world of intergalactic slave trade uh, a tall man who is apparently a clone and <laughs> a bunch of other shit. Um, but like you were saying before, this one's a lot less emotional. Like part four, I would say is highly emotional at times. And part two out of every single one of the films in this series, it's just the most bombastic and the most like special effects heavy. It's probably, I'd say it's the biggest crowd pleaser. If you're like one of the, like the really weird trolls, you're a big fan of phantasm one and four. I consider myself to be a big phantasm troll. I'm a big fan of one and four. Two yeah, is definitely. number three on my list, uh, personally, but it's not that I dislike two. I just like the um the more familial aspects of one and four. The uh it's the friendship takes center stage more so than it being like about action and special effects, but the special effects and action do not disappoint in this film by far. Although the the four barrel shotgun does do, does disappoint because when I originally saw this movie, I'm like, "Fuck yeah, that that shit's awesome!" And he uses it once and throws it down. Yeah, he only uses the fucker once. I have never understood why they don't go back and get their bullets in in this entire series. That they just drop stuff all willy nilly. But again, it's uh, you you take from that first movie what we were discussing on the last episode. Everything, again, is very dreamlike that all of a sudden he just goes into action. They get back in the, the Hemikuda, which I thought... 
they Jody, go back to their youth. Well, I mean, I thought Jody died in the Hemikuda, so now Reggie has it, and they're just going to kick the tall man's ass. They're pretty much going back to conquering fear and not letting you know your old age set in, not letting bitterness set in. So we don't know any of the actuality of what's going on. But I kind of like to think of part two as if if you take the entire Phantasm series. And you look at it like an 80s action movie almost. There's always a training montage. There's always that like 10 minute scene where the good guy's getting really buff and there's an awesome song playing. Phantasm 2 is the training montage of the Phantasm series. So when you have this whole product and you get to part two, it's like, yeah, this is where they really get strong and they kick some ass. And then you move into your more operatic sequences. And like you, I'm a really big fan of part four. Another one, people mostly dislike Phantasm 2 and Phantasm 4 and... They're at the top there for me. I don't know if I dislike any more than, than the other. That's not true for part five. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. No offense, no offense to Ravager, but if I had to put a Phantasm movie as my least favorite, it would be Ravager. Um, I, I've been asked this question a lot on our, I think, 11th birthday. I did a, a question and a Q&A episode, and I spent like 15 minutes trying to answer the question, what is my favorite movie? And I, I'm usually baffled. My cop-out answer is Aliens because I've had a lot of passion for it since I was a child. But I'll be honest with you, I've not watched that movie in like five or six fucking years. I've seen it so many times. I, I, I don't know if I can consider it my favorite movie. And as we've begun this and have started progressing into the series and I've been really immersing myself with Phantasm, I really think I can honestly say the first movie it's probably my favorite. I watched it a good goddamn maybe seven times last week. Not tired of it. Not tired of the series. I'm excited to keep going. I, I, I feel so much. I, not even so. Like it's not the familial aspect that gives me so much pleasure out of this. It's the connection of. I don't know, it sounds fucking crazy, but I really kind of consider that I grew up with with Reggie and Mike and these characters. I mean, because I saw this movie very young so as they came out and they started progressing i kind of got to grow with it up until phantasm 5 so when i go back and revisit it i really feel like i'm in the cuda i'm i'm in the back seat with these guys getting ready to kick the tall man's ass and it it never grows old <laughs> it phantasm forever it really never grows old for me it doesn't really particularly grow old for me either i think it's we're at a point where the series needs to end i mean the uh Angus Scrim is no longer with us. Reggie's retired. I'm kind of glad we're not making more movies. If they would like to reboot the series, I am incredibly skeptical, but at the same time, I'd be open to it with a new voice and somebody who can take it into new directions just because I like the themes and the characters, but it won't be anything to what the original Phantasm series was, which was a lot of ingenuity, a lot of... And this folds into the actual story and plot of the phantasm series as a whole of just like not taking no for an answer just like no matter how crazy your ideas get or how almost like a lucid dream your plot of your film is that we're still going to go in this direction this is what i want to do with it and don coscarelli has always gone for his vision. I don't think he like almost like David Lynch. I don't think he completely understands phantasm as a whole either. He, I think has turned it over to the fans and did so from the beginning of just like, ah, eh, that's for the fans to figure out that they can come up with something way better than I ever can. So he just gives them the, uh, 
the clay to work with to like come up with their own ideas of really what's going on in this series. And I think that's a bold ass move for a director to do with a like a horror series like this to really let your imagination run wild. He gives you the themes, he gives you the iconography, but it's up to you to really make it what it means to you. And I think that's also why its fan base is so loyal. It's why they keep like they've taken it so much to heart because they've created as much of the experience for themselves as much as Don Coscarelli has. It's it's a really symbiotic relationship between fan and creator, and I think it works like really beautifully, specifically on this series. I, like on you can have your Friday Thirteenth stuff and all that that crap, but with this, it's just so nuts in a way, but amazingly nuts. But all the themes and the the concepts behind it are just so crazy that. You can just run wild up with it. I'm surprised there aren't more like phantasm fan films. Probably because it's really hard to replicate. It's not like you can just buy a Jason mask and run around in the woods. But I would like to see more phantasm fan films. Like really just take the ideas and the concepts and run fucking wild with it. I don't think Don would have a problem with it either. Yeah. I think you'd love to see a bunch of fan films. I'd love to see Roger Avery's and um, the, the comic book Stephen Romano did be turned into fan films. Or just major films in general. Doesn't have to be a fan film. Would be really cool. One of the spectacular things about the entire series, it's not just Phantasm or Phantasm 2 in general, is the editing and the prowess that Don Coscarelli has as an editor and his usage of previous footage. This is where things really start to kick off, and as we progress through the series, it's really fantastic when old footage is cut in and it gets a new life and you get new plot points and twists and turns. And this film really articulately begins with older footage and then... It's what, it, 1988 from 1979, it's been some time. There's been seven years in between doing this, and that's kind of what kicked it off. Don wanted to do a sequel. He knew he wanted to do it, and they finally got the offer. It's, well, what What do we do? I mean, how do, how do we connect this? What do we do to continue the story? And for him, the most logical answer, and this, this you can find in the commentary for Phantasm 2, and I thought this was really interesting. Don says, I felt we needed to begin it directly after Phantasm. So that, as a fan, with your own speculation and, and whatever you want to do with this story, really could give you almost a hint of this This really is Michael's perception and this is Michael's mind because Phantasm, whatever's going on, it is Michael's perception. He is our avatar. So if this is beginning directly after this and we are traversing, Michael goes upstairs, the tall man comes out of the window, then he's still our avatar. We are in Michael's dream but I love the idea of, you know, this intergalactic, dimensional, whatever the tall man is, monster coming and turning people into little dwarf Jawas and sending them to space. I like it. <laughs> well, I, it's not only that, it, it runs through the ages. And let me explain that because it's kind of an amorphous statement. But the original one plays like a adolescent boy's nightmare or his dream, his view of the world. And the second one is a older teenager, 18, 19, you know, in your twenties. And what, when those nightmares scare you, what do you do? You fucking attack like action movie style, you weapon up. And by the third one, Michael's older and he's dealing with it as say like a late twenties, early thirties person would. And that's kind of interesting in the series as a whole is they, they move through the ages of the actual characters involved. And by the time you get to five, it's being seen through the eyes of someone who is turning elderly and they're, they're starting to lose their grip on reality themselves. And it's almost like they're trying to remember 
the events that happened to them, but they're all a little bit fuzzier. They're not making as much sense as say they did when you were, you know, an 18 year old, 19 year old kid and you're just ready to kick ass. So I find that interesting too. It's, it's never like a stagnant series. It's never just the same thing over and over again. It's the viewpoint changes with each film as it changes with Michael's age. It's his viewpoint throughout the years has changed. And by the time you get to four, he's just his, like his ass is whipped. He's ready to just, I'm ready to kill the tall man or fucking die. And I'm tired of fucking fighting. And I'm just going to sit out in this desert until he comes for me. And as a 40 year old, yeah, that's pretty much what you're going to fucking do. I feel at the most phantasm two starts with Mike's perception. And at some point traverses into Reggie's perception and the, the rest of the series, we really progress with Reggie. I don't want to get too deep into part three, but at the end of this movie I'd mentioned earlier, we're left really horrifically. I said on the last episode, I thought the ending of phantasm is, is one of my favorite parts of the movie. And one of the most dreadful, horrifying endings to a horror film, this replicates it, but the impending doom I think is so much worse because the first movie is so chaotic and dreamlike, we don't know what's happening, but at this point we spent the last 90 minutes conquering. They go from place to place to place until they get to Perigord or wherever, and that's where Liz is. She's this psychic girl who has been communicating with Mike, and she's got some link. All we know is that the tall man has an interest in Mike and an interest in Liz, and Reggie has been along the way. They've picked up Alchemy, who may or may not actually be dead, and it's like a violent road comedy. They're traveling, they're kicking ass, they're burning dwarf ass, as Reggie likes to say. They finally get to the tall man, and it, 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 the, this movie replicates Phantasm more than anything else, but it's, it's such a wide spectrum. They're on the road, there's so much more to see. It's not as cramped, if, if that makes sense. And when we get to this final battle, it's... I don't think you're questioning what's real or what isn't anymore. There's not a lot of nuances. There's not a lot of questioning. Is Mike dreaming? Everyone's together somehow. You know, and I brought up on the last episode, Jody has a girlfriend. Reggie has a girlfriend. Mike doesn't. We don't see them really in the movie because if this was all a dream, why would Mike be dreaming about his brother going on a date and him not being there? Everyone well, he is... dreams of himself having a woman in this film, like getting, yeah. falling in love with a girl. And it's also the last time. First and last time Michael takes a gamble on caring about someone else besides Reggie, that is. Like, that's it. He's given up on love by the time you get to three. And then Reggie continues on the, Reggie's never going to give up on love. Reggie's always going to try to find love. someone to share his bed with. Reggie Bannister, he's hotter than love. But this makes me really raise the question about Michael's perception and this all being in Michael's head, because the only time we see Liz is in Michael's head. They're psychically communicating. And then when Alchemy and Liz show up and this becomes a foursome, everyone is all together. We don't get to see individually what's happening. I mean, the only sequences that are alone with Liz is when her grandmother is being buried. And we have that whole part with... Uh, Oh, God, what was the priest's name? I cannot recall his name at all. Wasn't he in a... The, the guy from Night Court? Yeah, the guy from Night Court. I can't... Father Myers, Kenneth... Tiger? I think it's maybe Kenneth Tiger, Kenneth Lion, Kenneth Bear, Kenneth Oh My. Played Father Myers. That's the only time we experience Liz alone, and we don't know what Mike is doing with Reggie at the time, so he could be sleeping. It all really could be a dream, because everyone ends up getting together, and progressively, Mike saves the day... Kind of, because this just doesn't end on a happy note. 
Phantasm 2 might be one of the most dreadful endings. Phantasm 1 and Phantasm 4 and 2 and 3 and all of them, fuck it. They all end really (laughs) sad with Reggie in fucking peril. That's how they all end. And that's kind of, I mean, uh, I I guess more of a a metaphor too. I mean, everything is a metaphor, but the lead hero, the soul, the resonance of youth is the one that is always damaged. The ego, what... Your pride in yourself is when things go wrong, when you have to deal with loss, when you have to deal with death, even like a breakup, when you have to deal with that part of your life essentially dying, it's always the the inner Reggie that gets its ass kicked and is the one that still has to come back the next day and figure out, oh, we got to do something. It's your strength. I mean, Reggie really is everything. I mean, everything good. It's just the the inner yin and yang and he's always the which one's good is it the yang or the yin it doesn't matter Uh, well i mean (laughs) reggie is that inner perception of yourself of being good and being wholesome and getting the girl and being the the kind of action star he's he's hope and that's what reggie has always been in these movies he's hope he's never really ever down he like he's going to war with the fucking literal devil and he doesn't care. He's just, he's always going to fight. And that's how we all kind of view ourselves. And I think we're all, by the time we get past Phantasm 2, we're all a lot more like Michael. Our girl gets killed and we just go, I don't care anymore. And I just, I don't want to love. And that's like, that's what I mean about the dichotomy between the two characters. It's almost like, like you were saying, yin and yang inside of us all. We, we all have, Michael and Reggie and it's this great hope for the future and that we'll never stop fighting and the give up in us, the the inquisitive one of like, I just want to know what's going on so I can rest and I don't want to have to fucking deal with this anymore. And that's kind of the interesting interplay between the, the characters is your hope inside of you is always trying to save that inner depressed beaten child that you are, which is Michael Am I getting too fucking deep? I might be. <laughs> well, it gets even worse because when we get into the next movie, we find out that you have a yin and yang. That's Reggie and your in- your inner Reggie and your inner Michael. But you also might have a Jody trapped in a ball in your brain. It's just going to keep getting weirder and weirder and weirder. Bill Thornberry is absent absolutely from this movie. There's Is there even a reference to Jody? Maybe at the very beginning Jody of the Jody is your guilt. Jody is your past experiences jody is the thing that never wants to let go of you oh you want you want to crawl out of this no you're not crawling out of this you still are this person you're still the person who did this horrible thing in 1992 that you can never forgive yourself for so like jody is almost that that thing that's holding us back that past memory that won't let us continue on with our without um continuing on with your life without thinking about these horrible things. But that's also at the behest of the tall man because he also is very much controlled by the tall man off and on throughout those films. Does his spirit actually live on or does the tall man always have control over that spirit? We'll get into the poor, poor story of Jody on the next two episodes. But what we have when it comes to, I guess, the arc, the development of Reggie is absolute pain and woe. The first movie is all Michael's perception and is all him having to deal with loss his parents die and eventually Jody seemingly dies this movie Reggie loses his entire family and he doesn't realize as things are progressing but he's losing Michael Michael has gotten so fascinated with there's even a line of dialogue at one point where Reggie is journaling and there's a narration and he says 
It may take us years to get to him, Mike says, and when we do, we'll probably die. He's still willing to do this. They know it's inevitable, but Michael doesn't care. He's dragging Reggie to his death, and sure, Reggie at any point could say, no, I'm not going to do this, but he's friends, he's family for life, he's sticking with him. But Michael's changing. He doesn't realize that he's losing him, and metaphorically, it could be... People start to get older, you start to go 40, you start to go bald, you start to go 40. <laughs> you turn 40, you start to go bald, and you lose a lot of your childhood, and you've been bringing up throughout the show, your memories begin to change, you start remembering things differently, or you're struggling to recall how things were. You, you referenced on the first episode, and I thought this was great, the whole idea of the tall man being just some creepy guy in your neighborhood or some creepy guy that lived around you and worked around you that you're remembering, God, he was so creepy. Maybe he was, you know, an evil alien or something like that. And your thoughts, they, they morph, they change. And you have this representation of Reggie losing. And as we progress through the series, Mike, he loses... You could look at it as Mike is losing his Reggie, but I think Reggie's losing his Mike. And I think when we get to part five, bitterly so... You get to a point in life where it's not that you lost it, but it's hard to touch. It's hard to grasp. It's been so long and so much has happened. You don't, it's not that you don't remember things right, but maybe this, I don't know if this will make sense, but things don't remember you right. Well, I mean, Reggie is losing Mike. And I think if you want to get super deep into philosophic ideas, it's just like Reggie is that hope. He is that good natured spirit that's within you and as we all get older we all start stepping away for from that good natured hope that we have and we start getting into like the, like doomer mentalities and you get a job that drags you down and like why do i even have dreams anymore and you just you start getting like in this almost depressive state and reggie's almost that like that fucking blast of serotonin that gets you out. It's like, nah, man, it ain't all bad. Let's, we'll get on the road again. We'll get on the road again. Maybe we'll come up with uh, come up with some some you know sexy hitchhikers, man. Maybe some like some things are good. Things are still gonna happen to us. And what we all do is we all just we try we try to hold on to that Reggie inside of us, but we all just get in that dreadful Michael thing of well, we're all going to face death eventually, so why even try? And that's just kind of the weird progression of the characters throughout the series. Not so much in Phantasm 2 because it's kind of like the two has joined. But again, as I said before, it's almost like you're, you're uh, like young teen or your older teens and your young 20s where you just you've got the world by the fucking balls and you're going to create your own destiny. You still think you're going to create your own destiny. And by the time we get out of Phantasm 2, though, it's just it, it seems a lot more going in the direction of maybe we don't control our destiny. Maybe all this piss of vinegar inside of us is all for naught. Maybe we should just kind of give up and not so much let the tall man take us, but we eventually will become the tall man ourselves, as Michael continues to do throughout the series after this, where we start giving into that and we are the ones who start taking the slaves. Imperialism! Boy, I'm glad I got political on this one again. Woo, let's start talking about imperialism and capitalism and how capitalism turns us into Jawa slaves and the tall man who is the owner class. He's the bourgeoisie. Comrade I. Alexander Nash, I'm going to make you get in the back seat. <laughs> you're gonna, we're going to stop and you're going to have to get in the back seat if we keep this up. Um, What the fuck was I going to say? Because now I'm thinking about <laughs> imperialism, goddammit. Shit on me. 
Uh, I, okay, so you you made me think about something here. There's a part of the movie where they've got a Budweiser can and they put a grenade in it in case something comes through the door. And what is it, midway, right before they, they get into the big battle with the tall man, something comes through the door. Reggie's getting it on. One of the most bizarre, fully closed sex scenes and Alchemy's just riding him like a horse. Uh, apparently the scene took about five hours to film because she was really, really excited for it and beat Reggie up. They had to keep calling makeup in because the top of his head had turned bright red because she just wouldn't stop slapping it. So <laughs> multiple shots, about five hours for what turns out to be a, a 45 seconds, maybe not even sex scene. They run downstairs and the grenade is blown. Something tried to come in through the window. And this isn't super clear. I was listening to the commentary and, and Coscarelli cleared it up. A cat came through the window and ends up getting blown up. And Reggie's like, ah, well, you know, it, it happens. A cat got blown up. And Michael kind of pops and is like, look, I'm just a 19-year-old kid and you're a middle-aged balding ex-ice cream man. And that's where we start losing Michael. He... And this makes it even weirder because if you want to take it all as a dream, he in his own dream is realizing, I gotta grow up. This is ridiculous. What are we doing? I'm going to get everyone killed here. But Reggie's like, well, yeah, you're kind of an asshole for saying it that way, but we got to keep going on. What else is there to do? And you could take that symbolically to be really a representation of we got to survive. What else is there to do? You can die, I guess. And I don't want to get too deep into three and four and five, but I, I feel that's pretty much what Mike decided to do. And that's so... So many of us decide to do that. You get boxed into things. I could never make a movie. I could never write a well, book. Well, Mike starts to accept reality. Like, Mike, I mean, if you want to get, like, really weird and technical about it, that this, if everything is a dream, Michael's decided to step out of the dream. And yeah. in three, four, and five, he starts exiting the film as well, where he's just not around because he's having to live in reality while Reggie is still fighting this crazy dream world. But in complete honesty, I feel when you stop dreaming, that's when you start to die physically, mentally, when when you give up on hopes, when you give up on even daydreaming and fantasizing. So what if you might not ever win an Academy Award? Why can't you fantasize about it while you're sitting in traffic? When you give up on all that hope, when you let your inner Reggie die, there really is nothing worth surviving for because tomorrow might suck, but you can still imagine it to be better. I will get a little Hemingway here. It's how the sun also rises ends. Isn't it pretty to think so? That book is fucking tragic. The entire story is, is just absolutely painful. It's about a man who cannot have sex. He was, he was injured in war and he falls in love with somebody and they have a passionate love, but she requires the physicality and they're constantly torn. The end of the book, they're sitting together and they're talking about it of man, would have been nice, and that's how it ends. Isn't it pretty to think so? And Phantasm itself could be an absolute representation of that, which is a representation of our lives in, in entirely. It's all pretty to have hopes and dreams, and why do you have to stop? Why do you have to give up on it? You have your inner monologue. You know who you are. You're, you're never going to change mentally from those thoughts in your head. They're not going to, to stop. Embrace it. Embrace who you are. You don't have to... <sighs> Fuck the world, everything's just going to be awful. Yeah, more than likely it's going to be, but you just don't go to the desert and die. Get the shotgun, and if something comes your way, shoot him four times at once. I mean, not really. Don't actually do, like, I mean, it's a metaphor. Like, don't shoot anybody. I guess you got to say that these days. I'm pretty sure Coscarelli in the past has said when he was writing the original Phantasm script that the tall man was a representation of just death. 
and the strange things that surround death, like the strange idea of, you know, funeral homes getting like burying someone, all these other things. Almost like the dogma of death. You know, there's so much ritualistic nature from uh, multiple societies, but Christianity specifically, every single form and branch of Christianity has a different way of dealing with death. I mean, I think the Catholics are probably one of the most grand, but I mean, the Jews, Muslims, everybody has these ritualistic manners when it comes to mourning, dealing with death, the personification of death, how it forms in your life. Some people see it as an embracingly wonderful good thing, as to others, it's the the worst thing possible. I really kind of think Don Coscarelli (laughs) suffers with depression. Um, just, just, and I don't even mean that as a joke. I mean, you look at the series, you look at Michael, you look at his evolution or de-evolution and you look at Reggie Bannister. I, I said this last time, I think everything is an inner conflict and, uh, Don Coscarelli. I think there's a lot of personal nature when it comes to this, that not everything is personal, but I look at Mike as Don and I just can't help but, you know, see like, man, this is how he fights depression. This is how he gets through every single day. And you look at this personification when it comes to the tall man, and it's it's well, weird, but it's therapeutic. Always creeping down your your back. He's yeah. like always around the corner. And I think throughout the series, basically all these different ideas and things that are flowing on the screen. What does Michael start to to realize by the fourth one is, oh wait a minute, that's me. I am the tall man. I have a sphere in my head as well because, oh shit. I am death destroyer of worlds. Well, I, uh, and basically it's just like all these things I was scared of at the end of the day. It's it's just me. It's just me that I'm the fucking most scared of. I'm most scared of growing old. I'm most scared of dying. I'm most scared of not being a kid anymore. If you want to take it back to the first one, I'm scared about growing up and becoming the tall man. Because uh, deep down, that's what we all are. We are this strange manifestation of um, our own worst fears is what we don't inevitably end up becoming. But a lot of us do. A lot of us end up becoming exactly what we, we hated. And the ones that don't starve to death like me. <laughs> well, too, I mean, we uh, each new person is a representation of death to their parents because we are the new generation. The parents will inevitably die and we are what's carrying on the family line, what's we're carrying on the name or, you know, in, in that sense of getting really deep into things. You're kind of born into death because you are the end of the previous generation. You're going to be carrying on. You're going to be moving forward. Not everybody wants to carry that weight. And to me, it seems that uh, right now, Mike does. Where we're at in Phantasm 2, Mike wants to continue on. He feels that tomorrow is worth fighting for. But when I watch this series, we'll get a little personal. I may or may not have some depression problems. And Phantasm is therapeutic completely. And getting back to the notion of this is kind of Don Coscarelli's story, in my opinion. I don't know if that's true at all. Um, but <clears throat> I watched this. And to me, it it gives me the courage. It makes me want to fight for a better tomorrow. It makes me want to be Reggie. It makes me never want to stop. And it makes me want to be more comfortable with myself. It makes me want to be a better person and have a better tomorrow, not just for me. Having a better tomorrow is not just about you physically. There's a whole fucking realm of other people on this planet, and I will die. You will die. Everyone will. How about the people after me have a good time, too? That sounds really, really great. Everyone living in harmony and unison and feeding and clothing the poor. 
sounds absolutely wonderful, and that's kind of the representation of what the tall man wants to take away. You you see, you brought this up at the beginning of the show, as we progress, the very beginning of the movie, there's that awesome scene where they build all their weapons, Mike builds the flamethrower, and Reggie builds the four-barrel shotgun, and they leave money behind. They, they don't steal from the place. They pay for what they're doing, and we still kind of have a society. There are, we don't see other people, because it's possibly just a dream. Why would there be other people? But the world seems all right, and by the time we get further east, it's just uh, like Resident Evil, that, that end of the first movie. The towns are awful. The cars are all flipped over. Day of the Dead. Why did I say Resident Evil? The beginning of Day of the Dead would have been the apt horror aficionado reference, but fuck me. <laughs> the, the hopes and dreams start getting stripped away, and things become more of this nihilistic wasteland, and it's not... Well, Walmart's come into town finally and taken over all the small businesses. I mean, that's yeah. basically what the tall man is. He's just Walmart. I mean, besides the the capitalist idea, it's it's disease, it's dread, it's it's hate. And I don't mean disease in like the physical form, but it doesn't matter Republican or Democrat, any form, any any person of authority that's coming in. Oppression. And, yeah, the uh, fascist insect that feeds on the life of the people, as the Symbionese Liberation Army would say. I will always find a goddamn way to fit a Patty Hearst reference into an episode of Death by DVD. It's not just growing up. It's not just the fear of losing people and death. When you start getting older and you progressively see society, you realize how soul-sucking absolutely everything is, even things that you have a big interest in. Let's say you, you really, really love a movie, and a company gets the rights to that movie, and they do this huge, fancy, smanchy Blu-ray, and they release it, and all of a sudden you feel almost a little offended, like, well, I was really into that. That was kind of my movie, and now all these other people get to enjoy it. You, you have this almost negativity with positivity as you slowly start to get older. You, you don't care that other people could enjoy what you enjoy. You just wanted specifically to enjoy it. And I think Michael starts realizing this isn't fun. This dream isn't doing anything for me. And I'm tired of everyone else enjoying it. And progressively, Reggie's life just gets, this is the weirdest way to make the reference, worse and worse and worse as the series goes through. And you get to that age, you don't even realize you're being a dick. You don't even realize you're being a gatekeeper or you're being negative, but you've also given up on your dreams. I mean, why can't you fantasize and still hope for things? Don't give up on just literally don't give up on having a fucking good time. I know that sounds so every time we get toward the end of these phantasm shows, I just start like raving like some old hippie, like just fucking love everybody and have a good time, man. I mean, that's all it is. We're all going to die one day, but it's fucking true. We're all going to die. Jim Morrison even said it. I just want to get my kicks before this whole shithouse goes up in flames. Don't let your Reggie die, but get your kicks because this shithouse will go up in flames. The tall man's coming. We can't stop it. Well, and part two is a lot about getting your kicks. It's a lot about that big time fight, the, the fight for survival, the fight for uh, your own independence. And again, as the series progresses, we start like... Michael starts giving into that fear of losing yourself and he loses himself more and more each film where until you get to five where the roles kind of all get reversed and then it's Reggie who starts feeling like he's losing himself because they're they're like they're they're tired of the dream they're they're tired of living in a like kind of a 
a non-reality because it's exhausting because it's just easier to let the tall man win. It's easier to just... Well, you know, I said this whole thing about uh, us, you know, when, uh, not just us, but you as an individual being born, being kind of the representation of death to your parents, the end of the series could be taken the exact same way because all that happens when people get older is we just treat them like children. You know, you you always wonder as a kid why your parents are so tired and why they sigh all the time and why they just never seem to be in a good mood. And it's not just life is hard, reality's hard. Nothing ever goes the way you want it to, and you get to a point that you're so incredibly jaded, you've got this responsibility. And, like, let's say, for example, you've got to take care of an elderly parent. You become jaded with it and begin treating them like a child. You are the parent in this situation, and that's really the evolution of Mike, where he has to... I mean, the series begins with Reggie taking care of Mike, and fucking spoilers, the series ends with Mike taking care of Reggie. It's completely reversed in life and death, so the representation of being the death of the former generation was just too much for Mike. He didn't want to be a leader, he just wanted to exist. He didn't want to save the world, he just wanted to fucking be happy. Well, and that goes forth in kind of steel-manning my uh, theory of the film in itself, where it's literally just about life and the different motions we go through life and growing up, getting older, having our fucking soul sucked. And then at the end of it, having to take care of the trying to nurse that never give up hope attitude. Like as we're like at the end and we're just like, no, you can't give up on, don't give up on the light. But at the end of the day, it's like you know, there's nothing you can do about it. It's it's that light is going to get snuffed out eventually. It's just how long can you hold on to it? And apparently for Coscarelli, 40 years, you can hold on to it for 40 years and continue to make movies in this same bizarre ass universe. But he held on to it as long as he could. Don Coscarelli's entire career is something very interesting to me and I think each film has a, a lot of symbolism even Beastmaster and Survival Quest but the Phantasm series in general it, it's too uncanny to just take it for what it is and you're more than welcome to do it that way you can watch this series and just try and narratively piece it together so okay everything that happened in the first movie might have not happened but now the tall man's real and the tall man's coming after them and they're fighting the tall man and they have to burn these people and this is what happens whatever take it take it however you want to the joy and and the, the beauty of it is really the, the layers and the attention and the care and the detail that Don Coscarelli puts forth when it comes to making art. And just kind of, I don't know, as a fan, and there's so many, there's thousands, maybe millions of people that can relate to this. I grew up with these guys. You grew up with these guys. And there's a big age difference. Well, I mean, not a massive one, but there's an age difference between you and I. And still... When you were 14, 15, you had Reggie and Mike and Jody and the tall man. And so did I. And so did so many other people that get to share this. And for me, just some of the joy of being able to talk about it and to just theorize with you, just to chat, just to know that there are people out there that are going to listen to this and maybe they'll relate. Maybe they'll go, those guys are crazy. What are they smoking? It's just phantasm. I don't know any other way to say it. It's fantastic with a capital P. Coscarelli's art is really hard to match, and we've jokingly said this a lot. He's never made a bad film. It's true. It it really is. Uh, it's so funny when you read reviews of people that, I guess, don't get the series and just don't understand what's going on. I don't think there's a single Phantasm movie that has bad acting, and that's including Ravenger. There is always an immaculate amount of emotion, an immense amount of care put into everything, and it's because... 
again, going back to Kyle Scarelli, that guy knows how to really cast a picture, but everyone believes in what's going on because they believe in Don. They know that Don's not going to lead you down some dirty, dark highway and stab you on the side of the road. There's going, this is going to be good. (laughs) I like for those people who don't just don't get Phantasm, I implore you to go back and watch Phantasm the series and stop trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of it. Stop trying to figure out well, why is he doing this? Why is the tall man doing this? All this plot nonsense because it's mostly irrelevant. Phantasm is an emotional experience and that is how it's meant to be taken. Just sit back and, and like appreciate the emotion that the characters are going through and that you're going through during the filmmaking, like the, the ups and downs you're having, because that's what it's all about. It's about the enjoyment of, feelings and emotions it's not about plot details it's not about like some great grandiose fucking store like star wars fucking universe that's not what it is it's so much about taking in and feeling the the weirdness the fear all the different things going on and like go along for the the emotional ride with all the characters go along with reggie you like reggie who doesn't like reggie and just like Enjoy the fact that you're getting to go on this bizarre ride with this character and stop with all the, 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 the nonsense because that's what I hear mostly about Phantasm is what the fuck is even going on? What the f- It's like, who cares? It doesn't matter what's going on. What matters is you're enjoying the ride. You're in the Hemikuda and you're just a monster hunter and things are just happening around you. That's the enjoyment of the series. And you can get deep. You know, you can treat this as a Star Wars Marvel Universe type thing. You can really go into the different types of balls and the different types of dwarves and all the changes throughout the series and all these different realities. You're allowed to theorize. That's what makes it so fun. You can take it any way you want to, but just take the ride. That's all that's asked of you. Translate it however you feel. and, and you Don't try to nail it down, though. Don't. Well, this is definitely what he meant. That's not what it's about. It's about just enjoying that ride. I mean, I brought this up throughout the show that rewatching this in the last two days, I, I kind of caught and felt a lot of this is Michael's dream. How much of the beginning, how much of the ac- action sequences are real? It's just an open interpretation. And what we're doing here is is honest to God film criticism, honest to God. It's not horror history, but this is all opinion. We're having a really good time here, but but. It's not an, a review for all intents and purposes of what Phantasm is, but we're getting to a point where I don't think people recognize and understand you can make anything of anything. It's all up to you. It doesn't matter. It's all your interpretation. You can sit and read other people's reviews. You can listen to us. Don't all take it as it's written in stone. Not everything you hear, not everything you read is true. Enjoy something. Enjoy it for your own perception. Enjoy it for your own abilities to watch something it's not just entertainment it's art there is a purpose but it's up for you to decide what that purpose is yeah it's i just find that the horror community doesn't really embrace phantasm as much as they should i think they did after part two i think it it became what 
a lot of the uh, the horror dorks out there really wanted, which is just you know balls out action and crazy violence and you know stuff like that which just for clarification you say uh, love it like we're horrid dorks we are the horrid dorks you're talking about so you know you're listening to this fucking asshole called me a dork we're also troll dork the fuck you think i've been doing in my life i mean we just it's been an hour and we're talking about phantasm so try not to take offense we're not insulting you we're insulting all of us well it's just there's the people you know the friday 13th people and not disparaging anybody, but it's just like they get really like motivated by all the, the backstory. And it's just like, what the fuck ever. But with Phantasm, it just started getting so weird and so kind of melancholic that I think a lot of people just didn't like it anymore. Like by the time you get to four, that is a very melancholic movie. I'm like, oh, God damn, that's brilliant. It's almost like um. It's like a Sophie's Choice drama picture more than, like, say, a horror picture. And I think it turned a lot of people off because they wanted it to be, like, that high-octane, balls-out action of Phantasm 2. It's like, no, no, no. This is almost like a symphony. We're going in movements with each film. We're going up and we're going down. We are having highs and lows. And you you can't hold it to that thing of, I want to see Jason do this many kills and this many pictures. And the only reason I pick on Friday the 13th is because... That series is very much samey through most of it. Through the first, like, eight films, it's kind of the same thing over and over and over again. And by the time you get to nine, which I personally enjoy, I enjoy Jason Goes to Hell, people freak out about the movie. It's the worst one. Why is it the worst one? Barely has Jason in it, turns to a demon and a bunch of other body hop and stupid shit. It's like, but they were just doing something different, at least. It's not the same fucking thing over and over. But I like the same thing over and over again. I do, too, to an extent, but... You can't treat Phantasm as that. It's so different and it's so emotionally different with each movie and so much more about like it's dare I say the more the longer this the series went on, the more mature it got, the more it got to be about interpersonal philosophies and drama than it did about, you know, making great action scenes and making great gore scenes and stuff. And it just got to be more about people. I think each film has a drastically different style, and, like, the first Phantasm movie is really, with its dream sequences, that's, like, the Italian movie. That's the artsy-fartsy Fellini movie. The second movie is an action film. That's a James Cameron-type picture. That's a The Celeste- third movie, I would say, is, like, a horror film. Like a like an eighties nineties horror film. The third movie is an actual horror movie. The fourth film returns to the origins of the first, and it becomes much more dreamlike. And it, it, I mean, I'm not even saying it sarcastically. There's a lot of reminiscent tools that are used in Coscarelli's bag of tricks from pure Italian cinema, from the greats, from the big dream dudes like Federico Fellini, um, Pasolini, even that he, you don't know what reality is, but when you watch those movies, it doesn't seem to matter. You know, the transcendence of, is it a dream? Is it all of our angst? Is it our, whoa, here's a beautiful shot of a beach for 45 minutes? It doesn't bother you when it's some big name. But when you bring in the tall man, and when you're using these spheres, and when you're using horror as the elements, for some reason you have to have a narrative idea behind it. That's not, I'm not going to call it experimental, but that's not how everything works. Now, there are rules and regulations, and I think a thing with a lot of modern filmmakers and a lot of independent horror is... Everybody wants to break the rules, but they don't take time to actually learn what the rules were. Coscarelli has a book. He makes all of his motion pictures by that book, and 
I'm not saying don't break the rules, but what my point is is you have to learn these rules to break it. And when you look at somebody like Don and you look at his editing, you look at his casting, his writing, his methods, how he connects things, that's breaking the rules. That's changing the mold. That's absolutely genius. But what it truly comes down to is he's using himself. Don Coscarelli is the tool for all of this. He He's the storyteller. Well, he's letting his imagination go. He like It's one of the most imaginative horses out there. He doesn't care what doesn't fit from the last film. Well, why is this like this? He's just like, well, it just doesn't matter. What matters is, the again, the emotional expression I'm putting on film here. It's not so much about the mechanical aspects of getting from point A to point B because point B is fucking irrelevant to point A. It's the trip between point A and point B that is important. It's how those two things interact is irrelevant. It's literally just the ride. It's all just a ride. We'll be getting into Phantasm 3 next week as this ride continues, and it's just going to get more philosophical. It's going to get more theoretical. I think we're going to have a lot of fun as we progress into that part of the series. Part 1 and Part 2, we've been able to have a lot of philosophy, and we've been able to have a lot of fun doing it. But things are going to get so crazy and so wild, it's just going to be, oh yeah, he's got the shotgun, and then there's a pink hearse, and then this kid has razor blades, and he's with somebody. We're going to end up getting a little rabid moving into the next parts of the series, because you can't help but have fun with it. I don't, I know... Not everyone shares the sentiment that we have with Phantasm, but I really hope this might serve for people that don't see it our way as us bullying you into doing it. <laughs> and that's not what my, my mentality or what I mean to say with this, but I, I... Just open yourself up to it. That's all I'm saying. You just need to open yourself up and stop trying to figure all the shit out, man. It's just... It just breaks my heart when people tell me they don't like Phantasm, and I feel you're missing out. I really want you to enjoy it the way I enjoy it, because I get so much out of this. I really feel absolute pleasure. I feel a reward when I watch this series. I want to fucking write a thank you letter to Don Coscarelli, which kind of is what we're doing here. And I just want to share that feeling with other people. It's so... It's just so fun to have fun, goddammit. It's so fun to let your Reggie exist. (laughs) To put it in, like, internet terms, if someone on Twitter said, I don't like Phantasm, and I asked why, and they would sit back, it doesn't make any sense, what I would send back is a gif of Donald Glover saying the word, good. I'm glad it doesn't make sense. I like Donald Glover because if you just say Don Glover, it's kind of funny. Don Glover. (laughs) Yeah I've been driving for a while And I'm getting kind of tired Oh hold on a second There's one of those little Jawa dudes in the road I'm gonna hit him God, I don't know if we're going in the right direction. The map said Paragord was... Oh, yeah, I've been going west.
the whole time. Oh, well. I'm going to turn around here, and we're going to keep heading east. <laughs> but I think we've gotten to the end of our Phantasm Part 2 extravaganza. Get in the CUDA. The Death by DVD exploration of Phantasm. So until next week, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. good installment of Keith David or David Key. In 1983's Independence Day, Who Plays Jack? Remember, this is the one where a waitress and her car mechanic boyfriend dream of going to Los Angeles, not the one where Randy Quaid and Will Smith fight aliens. It's David Gee. Thanks for playing another nipple hardeningly good round of David. Oh, David Gee. Until next time. Goodbye. And goodbye. I knew that one. Didn't we say that on the uh, the Rudy Ray Moore episode? One of us didn't. Didn't. Hey. Hey. Hey, I got something for you. Hey, are you asleep? Hey, hey wait. Uh. Well, if you're asleep, I'm drinking and driving. Where's that Dosakis? Ah. Whoop. Whoop. <laughs> there it is. Made it roll toward me nice. And here.